0: Hi, it's Dating Coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma Podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Zachary Stockill. Zachary is a researcher, writer, coach, and podcaster. He is the founder of retroactivejealousy.com, a site that focuses on the exploration of jealousy. He's also the author of a couple books, including Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy and Everyday Joy. Zachary has a podcast called Humans in Love, which features relaxed conversations about culture, relationships, and personal development. Zachary, can you tell me a little bit about your background and some of the projects that you're working on?
1: Sure, yeah. I I, I think of the Grateful Dead lyric, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, I often tell people like I was supposed to be a history professor by now. I spent seven years in university pursuing various history related degrees. I was really interested in uh, things that were happening, particularly in India in the 1960s. Um, but meditation, personal development, spirituality, relationships, psychology, that's always been a big recurring interest in my life. Anyway, when I was, procrastinating on finishing my uh, master's thesis at the University of British Columbia, I wrote a very short book called overcoming retroactive jealousy and I put it out under a pen name and this was a book essentially chronicling probably the most embarrassing uh, episode of my life. But I I felt like I I had some things to say that needed to be said and that people needed to hear particularly related to jealousy and possessiveness in relationships. Plus, it was just a really fun project, and it helped kind of um, satisfy some of my creative urges that were not associated with my with my academic work. Anyway, to my surprise, that little book started to sell fairly well. And after graduate school, uh, I was considering taking the plunge and doing the Ph.D. But I thought, well, I, I've got a bit of time now. I've got a bit of freedom. I'm not in school. I might as well pursue this this new jealousy-related project and see where it goes. Because by that point, I had a blog and. Eventually, I released an online course relating to retroactive jealousy, and that's been an incredible experience over the past four years. I've gathered a really interesting little community around that topic. And basically, I've spent, yeah, the past four, yeah, I guess about four years, um, exploring jealousy, relationships, psychology, writing about it online. Uh, I have a podcast called Humans in Love, in which I have really deep and rich conversations with interesting people, people I feel like I, I can learn from. But I guess my main focus at, at this point is around jealousy and relationships. And you're actually catching me at a really interesting moment uh, about a month ago. I hope you'll forgive the not so humble, humble brag. About a month ago, the BBC News uh, put out a front page story about retroactive jealousy and my work. So it's been a really busy month and it's been really, really challenging and really inspiring. And it's kind of given me the kick in the in the seat I need to take level and, and reach more people so it's uh, it's been great i hope that answers your question i'm also a, an amateur dj uh and i'm a musician uh so that also takes up a, a lot of my time these days
0: nice what instruments
1: i started out on drums uh and I'm, i guess i'm always kind of a percussionist at heart uh but i also play ukulele uh, but these days my main instrument is the guitar and if you want to talk about music i could talk about music all day i'm kind of a bit of an obsessive
0: it's awesome there's a bunch of other things I want to get into, but I'm curious how music affects your life and the choices that you make.
1: That's 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 a great uh, that's a great question. Music for me is one of the best things about being alive. And music is kind of like the best friend I've ever had in many ways. It's always been there for me when I needed it, whether it was listening to a song and really connecting with a songwriter who I feel like they've been in my shoes they've you know they can understand what i'm feeling what i'm going through whether that's elation joy excitement or depression sadness anxiety whatever you can always turn to some song or some songwriter no matter what you're feeling and uh it's a really important creative outlet for me i really try to make it a point every day at some point to get away from my desk to get away from screens to turn off my phone whatever and just plunk away on the on the guitar. I, I feel like it it relaxes me. It uh, gets my mind working in different ways. It's really good for my for my mental health in general. And uh, I mean, music just makes me come alive. It's it's one of the the. I really believe it's one of the best things about about being alive. And and I I really do appreciate it. Um, almost like a gift from God. Yeah, you know, I I really love music.
0: What were some of the songs or musicians that were the most profound to you at various points of your life, and what were the life events that were connected to that?
1: That's a damn good question, man. You really, you're, uh, we're getting right into it here. I'm, I'm sitting uh, with you today. I'm in, I'm in Thailand, and uh, I've, I've spent the majority of my adult life traveling, uh, mostly in South America and Asia, and music has actually played a huge role in that. Like I always think back to the first time I heard the Beatles when I was a little kid. I think I was about seven, six or seven years old and they had an enormous impact on me. They just brought so much color into my life. There were four really interesting people. I'd never heard music so, you know, rich and uh, and interesting. And as you may or may not know, they had a big interest in India. And that was right around the time I think I became conscious that there were places in the world other than Northern Ontario, Canada, where I was growing up. Um, so that was really interesting to me that these, these four guys making this amazing music were really interested in this, you know, place on the other side of the world that was very different from what they, what they knew, what they grew up with. So that was kind of the beginning of my life interest in, in India actually, and, and more generally travel and the broader world. Like I like music, a lot of music from West Africa, a lot of music from North India, Um, I listen to a lot of different stuff all over the world and it's a really interesting way to explore cultures to explore travel to explore People so the Beatles have been a constant thread through my whole life and as I got older um, Leonard Cohen The incredible Canadian songwriter and poet he's uh, he's one of those guys that's always kind of been there for me When I needed him Um, his poetry is exquisite. It's it's beautiful. It's moving. It's funny. It's very dark um, and his songs are often very much the same, and he speaks about women and sings about women in a way that I really connect to. I really relate to. He's truly an admirer of women. Um, he appreciates women. He loves women. They they bring him immense joy, uh, and and he almost kind of worships uh, them in a certain sense. And I I really connect with that. Um, I, you know I love women uh, more than probably your average your average man, and Leonard does too. And just you know, being a young man, kind of a teenager, and being aware of, you know, that possibility that you could live your life as a man that way, that was really
0: important for me as well. Yes, I found this fascinating. You talked about retroactive jealousy. Can you explain what that is?
1: So, retroactive jealousy, it, it, it's a term that can refer to many different things, but in a nutshell, the the bare, bare bones definition is. Being bothered by thoughts of your partner's past relationships slash sexual history. Now, many of us go through something like that when we meet someone and we, we fall in love. It's not so unusual. What I'm more focused on uh, these days is something that's more akin to obsessive compulsive disorder or what I call retroactive jealousy, OCD. Basically, people who become obsessed or fixated on their partner's past. And there's there's degrees of that, too. There's different manifestations of that. It can be simply a kind of biochemical uh, reaction slash compulsion where your your mind becomes stuck in this thought cycle that, you know, it's the pathway to hell. It's it's really torturous. And you, you're thinking about it all the time. You're very curious about it. You approach your partner with questions, hoping that that will resolve the issue. But even if you get the answer you're looking for, it's never enough. And the cycle just goes on and on and on and on. But it can also be interestingly related to genuine clashes in values, life goals, life outlook, where you look at your partner, you look at their past and you think, okay, um, there is something to that old sentiment, you know, past behavior is the best uh, in- indicator of or the most likely indicator of future behaviors. Well, there is something to that. If you're, you're you know, say I'm a hardcore Christian and I'm hooking up with someone who is, you know, a, heroin addicted porn star, whatever. Well, there's probably going to be some conflicts down the line. That's an extreme example. But yeah, I'm also interested in looking at how retroactive jealousy impacts our view of our our partner and our compatibility with our partner moving forward. Because sometimes there can be genuine clashes in values. Not always. In fact, most of the time if someone comes to me with retroactive jealousy, I'd say nine times out of 10, it's actually not about values. It's this kind of really uh, obnoxious manifestation of OCD and there's tools that they can work through it and stay in the relationship. But sometimes working through that involves coming to the conclusion that, you know what, we're just, we're not right for each other. And the past has something to do with that.
0: Is this something that you've recognized in yourself and you wanted to explore? Or is it something you recognize in someone else? Are you you in a book, a combination of those things or something else? Like wh- where did this idea to pursue the exploration of the subject come from?
1: Originally, the exploration was motivated entirely by selfish reasons, because I was suffering from uh, retroactive jealousy when I was in my kind of late teens, early 20s. I met an absolutely beautiful, incredible woman. Uh, I fell deeply in love for the first time in my life. And shortly thereafter, I developed a pretty extreme, we'll say, case of, of retroactive jealousy. I was haunted by all these mental movies. Uh, I call them mental movies, where you take some event from your partner's past or some comment she may have made or whatever. And you paint this incredibly elaborate, you construct this incredibly elaborate uh, mental movie around it. And you're kind of playing that movie in the background of your head most of the day off and on. Um, and so I was struggling with this at the extreme end of things for a while, you know, extreme curiosity about my girlfriend's past. I'd question her about it. I would act like a real idiot. I would try to shame her and all this stuff. And the kicker is, I mean, there was absolutely nothing about her past that was unusual, that it was out of the ordinary whatsoever. And it was incredibly hypocritical because my past was actually far more colorful than than hers, which is another issue. There's often a, an element of hypocrisy in this. But anyway, so I was really struggling with this at the extreme end of things. And this might sound self-serving now because I'm the owner of a website called RatTrackOfJealousy.com, But back... Uh, You know 10 years ago or whatever when I was dealing with this when I looked to find help on this topic There was very 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 little available Um, The term itself was was rarely used Um, most people had never even heard of it, which remains true today and Even therapists when I try to talk to them often I'd get kind of these blank stares and very empty shallow advice like, you know, the past is the past just move on um, That sort of thing which I found really unhelpful and the kicker is and I think I think this is worth mentioning because it's still true today the people who I found who did have some familiarity with this issue, who were willing to talk about it. Unfortunately, a lot of those people were kind of toxic men's rights activists type who in my view really didn't like women. Um, there was a lot of misogyny. There was a lot of extreme double standards. A lot of these guys, I like to say they they talk about women like they're creatures that, um, come from another planet. Like men and women are different. Absolutely. But we're not from separate galaxies, but I digress. I couldn't find a lot of helpful information on this topic at all. And so originally, my my concern was was selfish. I wanted to get to the bottom of this for myself. And finally, once I started, you know, trying everything under the sun, therapy, meditation retreats, every psychology and self help book I could get my hands on, um, you know, online courses, whatever. When I finally started making progress and arrived at what I consider to be some critical answers, I wrote it in, down in my book, Overcoming Retroactive Jealousy. And uh, that's kind of probably some part of the reason why I'm talking to you
0: today. Yeah. It's it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are listening to this that can relate to this on, on one level or another. When you were going through this process of first recognizing and acknowledging that this was an issue and then sort of working through and trying to source and find tools, what did you discover? Was the cause of it or did you discover, I mean, was there a sense of shame or inadequacy that you were projecting? Like what was happening under the, the surface?
1: Yeah, it, it's a, I don't have a simple answer. And I think, you know, a recurring opening line I get in emails is what causes this or, or they'll, they'll, people will write to me their life story and then they'll say, why am I struggling with this? Whatever. There are a few, um, common elements, which I'll, I'll mention in a moment, but in general, uh, it can be a mixture of things. So I think occasionally cultural conditioning can play a role in this. Now, I grew up in a pretty sex positive household. You know, I didn't grow up in a militaristic Christian or, you know, hardcore religious environment or anything like that. But a lot of people who write to me uh, are people from, you know, Hindu backgrounds in India. Um, They're Muslims in Saudi Arabia, more kind of restrictive, sexually restrictive cultures. I think that can play a role, uh, certainly. But it's interesting that to the best of my knowledge and what my research has shown that uh, scientific researchers aren't exactly clear on one definitive cause of obsessive compulsive disorder. And looking back, that's definitely what I was dealing with on some level. Um, now, that can, there can be genetic component to that. It can run in the family to a certain extent. There can be environmental factors and all the rest. Um, but in terms of looking at track jealousy specifically, I think that the two absolutely common elements, which are interesting and interrelated in some ways, are one, retroactive jealousy doesn't come if you're not in love so someone can have several casual relationships or even date women who you know they they like and maybe they'll even say they love them but their heart isn't really into it they probably won't struggle with retroactive jealousy I was in you know capital L love and this issue tends to come up or I should say this issue in my experience just about only comes up when you really care when you really love someone and related to that is I I believe that every retroactive jealousy sufferer on some level is dealing with some pretty deep-seated insecurity. Now, some people are resistant to this when I when I mention it, because I get emails from lawyers and doctors and professional athletes and people, you know, people who think they have the world by the tail, and it's like, well, I'm not insecure about anything. But if you poke and prod, and if you if you boil it down, they're insecure about something on some level. There's some fear there. Uh, sometimes that fear can be as simple as. I love my partner. She gives me all these good feelings. I don't want her to go away or him to go away. That can be your fear. But on a deeper level, it can be things like, you know, I don't know if I'm a really great lover. Um, perhaps my lover, you know, was was better served by the people in her past. Or it can be something like, I haven't had as many lovers as my partner. Um, you know, maybe I need that experience. Maybe I won't be a, a quote unquote real man until I go out and have sex with 20 women or whatever. There's some fear, there's some insecurity behind this, I believe, in in every case of retroactive
0: jealousy. I have two questions. The first, you've mentioned obsessive compulsive disorder a few times. Can you define it for the listeners, for those who aren't familiar with it?
1: Sure. I mean, a kind of loose basic definition is the mind becoming stuck in counterproductive, destructive thought patterns that feel inescapable and that often um, lead to the sufferer acting out in compulsive behavior. The most common one people think of is um, someone will be tormented by the thought that the doors aren't locked in their house. So you know, they wake up at two in the morning. They lock all the doors. They go back to bed. They get a half an hour of sleep. They wake up with the same thought again. Um, even though logically they know they just locked all the doors a half an hour ago, um, they can't let it go, and so they're forced to get up and do it again. And the most famous um, film example of this is um, Jack Nicholson's character in the film As Good as It Gets. If you recall, he is washing his hands all the time, and he often takes a new bar of soap. And unwraps it and washes it and then puts that down and another un- unwrapped bar of soap. Um, that's kind of the most famous example. We often associate OCD with you know washing hands, checking that the you know the stove is on, things like that. But can it can also manifest in just inescapable thoughts? Like, I might have this thought that, you know, my girlfriend's ex was an amazing lover with a you know a half a foot long penis or <laughs> whatever, and you're tormented by this thought, and that leads us to you know compulsively act out. Okay. Asking our partner. Hey, what was your past lover like? You know, am I better in bed than him? Am I a better catch than him? Etc. And that answer satisfies us for a minute. But sooner or later, we're gonna have more questions We're gonna have more compulsive behavior and the curiosity, you know, it doesn't go away So that's a big reason why if anyone listening to this is struggling with retroactive jealousy I would counsel them to stop asking your partner questions about their past unless there's some deal breaker question that you need the answer to that you know in your heart would result, you know, that would mean that you're not right for each other. Stop asking them questions about your past because that is not the way out of retroactive jealousy. I have yet to receive an email from someone and I've, I have an inbox that has thousands of emails from people. I have yet to receive an email from someone who said that they cured their retroactive jealousy by asking their partner more questions. So stop it. <laughs> if anyone listening to this is doing that.
0: That, that example made me laugh. I was like, it wasn't, I was thinking it wasn't six inches. It was three feet and he could spin around on it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, and she yeah. was really impressed by that. Um, right. She
1: was dating Mandingo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, actually, uh, as long as we're on this note, one, um, I was, re- uh, you know, kind of a, a, a popular example of this kind of uh, the thing that I'm talking about, because I guarantee there are going to be some people listening to this who don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Who've never heard the term retroactive jealousy. There's a great episode of Seinfeld where, uh, if we recall, there's a real rivalry between Jerry and Newman, his kind of evil neighbor who lives in the building. And Jerry starts dating this woman, and then he, it comes out that this woman once went out with Newman. And of course, Jerry usually is very cool, very unattached to these women that he dates, whatever, but he becomes obsessed with the fact that this woman was dating Newman, and it actually leads to the dissolution of their relationship. So if anyone remembers that episode of Seinfeld, that's kind of what I'm talking about
0: here. That's funny. It made me think I had a couple friends of mine, both of them really good looking guys. They're male models. And one of them was like super obsessive. What you're describing sounds like him. I mean, with cleaning, with sort of everything, uh, with taking your shoes off when you come in the house, like everything had to be structured and perfect. It's a little different, but um, he was just like obsessive about the every, the house being clean and like everything being organized and like food not touching each other. And and he he met this girl that he really really liked, and he met her on a dating app. And she was in the UK, and we're all in Williamsburg. And she he's super excited about her. She comes back, they start dating. She walks in the house, and one of the guys was my former roommate, and we all look at each other because the other roommate had hooked up with her and used to date her. Oh no! And uh, <laughs> and I was thinking, all of us were thinking the same thing as we talked about later. Like this is not gonna go very well. <laughs> and uh, I think they're still together. It's been like four or five years. Um, good for them. Yeah, it, it is good for Because I mean, she was a great girl and uh, she just wasn't right for the other guy. And, and this guy, he's a great guy, even if he doesn't mix his carrots and peas. <laughs> uh, but, but it's sort of, a, sort of a funny story. Not directly related, but um, it's like as you're talking about this, I could imagine him falling into this um, based on why I know about his personality. But Uh, he seemed to have worked through it so and i remember him specifically telling me like i would never date a girl who's dated one of my friends
1: and does he know that that there's that previous connection that his girlfriend had without without oh yeah because she
0: walked in and and there's like three of the guys or two two or three of the guys who lived there were my old roommates and this guy was now their roommate and so everybody's just looking at each other and i like i broke the silence i was like hey how have you been (laughs) because everybody else (laughs) didn't know what to do. And, uh, and so I just talked to her for a little while and then like everyone sort of loosened up a little bit, but yeah, it was like one of those things where there's tons of tension. You could almost slice it. But see,
1: but see, that's cool. Like I I respect your friend. Like that's, that's the cool move right there. You know, like, like if I'm dating a girl and things don't work out and she's, you know, she dates a friend of mine, like if you break it down, like I, I want her to be happy. I want my friend to be happy. And if she's not my girl, she's not my girl. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I respect guys who, uh, who do what your friend did and who seem to be cool with that. I think, I think that's the mature move.
0: You know, it's funny because I absolutely agree with you. And the reason why I say it's funny is because when I was younger, I was the same way. I'd never date a girl who had dated one of my friends. And you get older and you go, who gives a fuck? Right. Like all that matters is like you have a connection with somebody and you enjoy being with them and they enjoy being with you. And if you guys can build a life together it's a healthy, healthy life and you create joy in each other's life, who gives a fuck? Right. It just like doesn't matter. Um, But at least for me, when I was younger, I, I definitely had elements of this. And as I was, like, grew o- older and matured, I just realized trying to build a relationship or find a partner is hard and human beings are, uh, They're more like used cars than new cars, (laughs) right? They come in and like, I I remember one of my first jobs when I was 19 was selling cars and people would come in and they'd be like, I want this car with this many miles and uh, I want it in this color and I would like this type of uh, seat. And I'm like, hold on, let me call the used car factory. And they're like, okay. I'm like, there's no fucking used car factory. (laughs) You get it the way it is. It has however, however many miles it has. It has however many like, it's whatever color it is. Like it just if it has a stain, like that's just the way it is. Like that's how human beings are. Human beings are. I mean, we're just we come as we are, right? And yeah, either it fits or it doesn't. And uh, and
1: and just to continue this uh, very manly uh, car analogy, <laughs> um, I'm actually I'm shopping for a new motorcycle. And actually today I was just looking at videos online about how to break in a brand new motorcycle and what you do and how high to take the RPM and, you know, shifting for the first thousand kilometers and stuff. I'm watching this. I'm thinking, I, I just want a used one because like someone, someone's already done that work. It's already kind of broken in and all the rest. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, I, I'm kind of feeling like that with dating, you know, like I, I don't want to have to be the one to, to kind of open you up and help you overcome sexual shame and, you know, all the rest. It's like I kind of wish, you know, someone else had done that, that, that work.
0: I agree with you. I'm more I'm more like that with books as I get older too. Right? Cuz every time I open a new book, I'm mean, going to have a lot of new books. I have lots of used books, but when I open a new book and I write in it the first time, there's always some level of anxiety. A used book, like and it's got some stains and stuff on it, I can just scribble in it and make notes and I don't have any of those inhibitions or anxieties. And I think that's true for lots of things in my life, right? As I get older, I'm I'm more comfortable with well, I realized like there isn't such a thing as being perfect. If I order a book, I don't want it covered in shit, but <laughs> I, I as long as it's in like decent condition, like I would hand it off to a friend or a friend would hand it off to me and I, it doesn't smell weird or look weird and I can read every I mean, but I agree with relationships. I have grown to a point where I feel the same way. It's like, I remember telling a friend of mine, they're talking about like, this idea in sort of some religions where like if you do x you'll be given like a certain amount of virgins i'm like that sounds like fucking hell <laughs> you have to deal with like all the anxieties and issues and sort of yeah, things what, that what, come
1: what do the uh, the martyrs get i think it's 72 virgins in the afterlife that's 72 pretty awkward sexual experiences you know this is supposed to be heaven like, uh, yeah, I I totally agree. It's like that's their main selling point, and it's uh, <laughs> if you actually think about what it would be like practically, it's not so not so sexy.
0: Yeah, it's I mean it's silly. I think, um, and I think what this connects to, at least in my experience, is a movement away from perfectionism. Right. When I was younger, I had sort of the these ideas about what it means to to be perfect or. An obsessive tendency towards searching for perfection and as i get older i just realize that like it's not real and and there's sort of some form of destruction in every new act of creation right whether i want to make a computer i have to destroy all the raw materials that are involved i'm looking because i just bought a new computer i'm staring at it it's the first time i've used it on a podcast but you have to rip apart all those Uh, minerals and all the different components and tear, tear them apart and put them back together into something else like anything that you make anything that you have to create something has to be destroyed in order to create that new creation and the same thing is true about relationships and our lives even right like a career we change careers and that old career is destroyed and we're reborn into a new career or a new relationship or a new life situation but i think that's been an important thing for me to understand. And then the other thing that's been really important is just the understanding that life is iterative, it's trial and error. Like these lessons, this movement away from perfection, trying to have like the perfect line or the perfect relationship or the perfect partner or the perfect whatever, like it's just not, it doesn't exist. And even if something seems perfect, it's a matter of perspective and it's also temporal, right? Like what might feel perfect now might not feel perfect five or six minutes later, or an hour later, or a year later, 10 years later, whatever, it's a moment in time. And so for me, these two things have been pretty profound. I don't know what your perspectives are on this.
1: No, and and when I think of perfect, I think of boring. You know, and that, that might sound kind of trite, but you know, our, our impurities, our weird peccadillos, our flaws, uh, our scars, um, That's what makes us interesting. That's what makes us compelling and when we reveal those and when we're upfront about those it makes for really quicker um, connections with other humans like you're not talking to me today you didn't want to have me on this podcast because I'm this lifestyle guru with everything figured out and a picture-perfect Instagram and uh, you know all this stuff you wanted to talk to me because I'm kind of messed up and I, I decided to write and be open about that and hopefully that makes me at least somewhat interesting um, and yeah, I think, I think perfect isn't perfect because perfect doesn't lead to growth, right? If something's perfect. If you, if you're done, if you consider yourself, you are not a work in progress anymore, you you've done, you're, you've reached the mountaintop. I mean, I just picture a pretty boring life, right? I, I never want to get to that, that point in my life where I feel like, okay, I'm the best man I'm going to be. I'm 79 years old. And I no if, you know, if I make it to 80, I won't be any better. Like what's the reason to get out of bed in the morning? What's the reason to have conversations like this? What's the reason to read a new book? What's the reason to, you know, whatever? It's, uh, when I think of the word perfect, I, I think of boring. That's the first association for me.
0: Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way, you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchrisma.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. Your example made me think of that scene in Good Will Hunting where Robin Williams is telling, uh, I forget his character's name, but telling Matt Damon, Will Hunting, that his wife would fart while she was sleeping and sometimes (laughs) she would wake herself up.
1: (laughs) Funny, funny. Can I tell you a funny fact? So that's one of my favorite films. Uh, Anyone listening to this and you as well. Next time you watch that scene, you'll see the, uh, the camera shaking. It's because apparently the cameraman found it so funny that he started shaking and he couldn't help himself. And they decided to leave that in the film. Yeah, I, I, I love that film and I love that scene. That's, that's uh, yeah, he's, God, he's, he was great in that film. I mean, we miss Robin Williams so much. Like what a brave, vulnerable, moving performance that was. That's just, yeah. Talk about like raw, vulnerable masculinity. I think of I think of his character in that film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. A few years ago, I was lucky enough to be at Tribeca and the director was it Gus Van Sant. Yeah, uh, he was talking about the film, and I, I was yeah I was in the audience, and a bunch of the cast was there. Um, I was Matt Damon wasn't there, and obviously Robin Williams wasn't there. But hearing them tell the story of of Matt Damon trying to make that film because he had written it in college, and he was also producing it and the star of it, and all the behind the scenes stories was really quite amazing. But you're right, Robin Williams in that film was definitely special you were talking earlier about some of the fears that guys bring up when they contact you. When you get these emails, you might even get these calls or maybe you meet people in person, but when these fears come up, what do you tell them to do?
1: Wow. Uh, it, uh, it changes a lot. Um, you know, it it really varies on the person. Um, so I'm thinking particularly of guys. I mean, there, there's a few things that um, that I would suggest that are kind of just practical suggestions for a lot of these guys. One recurring theme in the lives of a lot of the guys who reach out to me and who want to connect with this stuff is their woman is their world. And, you know, I don't mean that literally, but something pretty close to to that. I mean that they, they've lost their connections with their guy friends. They've often lost lost their connections doing the things that made them... Interesting and success, you know sexy in the first place to their girlfriend. They've lived. They let their hobbies and interests go by the wayside um, they don't have much of a social life outside of their woman and They spend a lot of their time trying to please their woman uh, Making themselves available to the, to her all the time neglecting their own needs I mean, I, I told you uh, before we started recording. I recently listened to uh, your podcast with dr. Robert Glover the author of no more mr. Nice guy And a lot of my clients uh, and the people who reach out to me fit into that category where they tend to be people pleasers um, and they are often men uh, who are not really engaging with their independent side very much. So in terms of practical suggestions, I often tell them, you like exercising, you like working out, get your ass back to the gym, Uh, get back on that bicycle, keep doing the things that, that satisfy you in a way that your woman can't. Um, Maintain your own interests reconnect with your guy friends. Oh my I I sound like a broken record I probably say this on every podcast but in my own life and you know I was a part of a men's group for a while that was incredible but you don't have to go that hippy Dippy uh, route if you don't want just make time for your guy friends, you know Go out to the pub on a Friday night or take a trip together or whatever Um, It makes you more sexy to women. It amplifies your masculine polarity Which should help to amplify her feminine polarity Uh, It's good for the relationship. It's good for you. I guess my point is a lot of these guys, you know, I think part of their fear is associated with losing their woman because their woman is their whole world. Um, And they don't feel like they they have a purpose. They don't feel like they have real independence or or real social life outside of their woman. So that's one fear that we can start addressing by, you know, getting them back connected to their masculinity, their core, their purpose, their goals, their independence. Um, That's really important first step that they can take.
0: You mentioned men's groups. You were a part of a men's group. What men's group were you a part of and how did, what did you do in your men's group and how did that help you through whatever issues you felt like you were going through at that time?
1: Let's start with that. No, that's a great question. And it's directly related to retroactive jealousy because I really credit that space, um, for helping me work through some of these issues, particularly related to my, my retroactive jealousy. I was in a men's group when I lived in Vancouver, that was five or six years ago, something like that. Yeah. And, uh, it was great. It was, you know, I was in my mid twenties at the time. There was a guy in his early twenties and the oldest member of our group was I think in his mid sixties. So there was a real range of life experiences in that group. And basically, we would meet at someone's house every couple of weeks and be really open and really honest and really vulnerable and talk about our shit. You know, we would talk about our issues. We would talk about the challenges we're having in our relationships. Some of the guys would talk about the fact that, you know, their wife didn't want to have sex with them anymore. Um, I would talk about my weird jealousy and and I would try to intellectualize it and, and, uh, you know, really try to get to the bottom of it. Um, It was a really safe, you know, I hate that term safe space, but this is, this is one situation in which it, you know, it felt like a genuinely safe, open, welcoming space. And I don't know about you, but there's something that happens to me, you know, like I, I consider myself a real lover of women. I love being around women. I've always had close female friends and I just love women energy, but there's something special that happens when you're in a, a space, you know, with guys, when you're connecting with other men. In a way that is not just going out to the bar on a Friday night and getting drunk. In a way that, you know, let's talk about our, our feelings. Um, you know, let's own our shit. Let's work and support each other to become better men. That was very liberating for me. And that, w- that was a real, you know, it, um, it, it was very important for me to feel safe and supported in that space and really, you know, vulnerable. And I, I think sometimes guys have the wrong idea when they think about men's groups or men's work. Um, hence my comment my sarcastic comment earlier um, I think a lot of people associate it with you know taking off your shirt and, and singing kumbaya and getting naked in the forest together <laughs> and while there are certainly men's groups that uh, That uh, fit into those stereotypes You know any kind of men's group you want to set up I would say as long as it's regular and consistent Can be tremendous and of course as long as you have the right mix of of guys in there But just have a space you know with other guys in your area or friends you trust where it's like We're setting this space. There's no girls allowed. (laughs) You can put a sign in the door if you want. And we're going to talk about our lives in a real way. And we're not going to try to be macho and posturing and trying to puff ourselves up and pretending like, you know, we're the most alpha guy in the room. And, you know, none of that shit. Let's talk about what's important. Let's talk about our lives. Um, I I found it incredibly, incredibly helpful. And I I think I'm going to try to get back into one pretty soon, actually.
0: Yeah, I've started doing men's work and I've got involved. Well, I've got involved with one group and I'm about to get involved with the second. Actually, right before this podcast, I was emailing uh, one of the guys from another group. And th- I think there's a lot to be gained there. And uh, it's funny because I had an intern who is struggling with some stuff. And I, I suggested that he get involved with the men's group. And he goes, you know, but does that really make sense? Like, do do I need to be around other men, shouldn't I be around more women? Because what I want to lose, do is lose my virginity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: don't, don't join the men's group. <laughs> uh,
0: but wow. uh, I mean, for him, I think it makes sense because he is dealing with some deeper issues that are inhibiting his ability to be present and connect with the people around him. And he doesn't see that right now. He just sees pretty girls and like, why can't I connect with them? And yeah, see
1: that's a, that's a tricky one because if he was my friend I would almost tell him be clear with like, make some female friends, make it really clear that you're not trying to have sex with them. So you avoid the whole friend zone, that situation and get them to open up. Like, what is it like dating guys? You know, like, what do you like? What do you don't like? What does that guy do for you? How was your date last Thursday? If you meet really cool, particularly older women friends, they can be really, really helpful. But, uh, but I hope your guy, I hope his challenge has been solved.
0: (laughs) We're working on it. He's, uh, (laughs) he's, he's interning so that he can take our our next upcoming class, and uh, he's doing a great job, and we'll get him to where he needs to go but i mean these, these, these <laughs> are definitely great. they're they're complicated issues right because on the one hand there's this like these technical things like how do you start a conversation, how do you approach somebody how do you touch somebody? how do you create sexual tension? when do you fall up with somebody and a lot of these things should be instinctive, but oftentimes they might not be, and so we have to teach people those things but then the more important part is the emotional component, right? And you're talking about with retroactive jealousy, how these things, even though you were able to get into a relationship, how it damaged the relationship. And sometimes it's these internal issues, these emotional traumas that are affecting guys and they don't even realize I had a call the other day with this guy and he was just so angry. And I like, it was going to be hard for him to take the class until he did some of the emotional work. And so I told him, hey, man, I want you to download a meditation app. I want you to listen to it. I want you to read a couple books. And then, like, let's chat. Um, Smoke
1: a joint, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and that come to the
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I want him to be fully conscious, right, when, when we're interacting. But I get what you're saying. But he was just so angry. He was getting stuck earlier in the process. And that would just sort of increase his level of anger and frustration and resentment. And it's not until he deals with some of the internal things that he's going to be able to connect with people. or if he does it's going to be a person who's in a pretty bad place and that has the potential to just create more traumas do you see where i'm going with this
1: that that's huge yeah it's like you can figure out how to be attractive but depending on your you know what i would call your soul or your spiritual essence or whatever are you sure that you're going to be attracting the right people right it's like because if you attract the wrong type of person you know they might validate you on some level might pump up your ego a bit but God damn, that could be way more trouble than it's worth, you know? Like, yeah, absolutely.
0: For the guys who are listening to this, I mean, since we're on this idea of sort of emotional <laughs> emotional issues, if someone's having issues with the jealousy, how do they recognize that's a problem for them? Hmm.
1: I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think one thing that can be helpful, and hopefully it's you know, I, I say talk to your friends um just as a first step. So again, it comes back to this idea, particularly for guys listening to this, like, do you have even at least one relatively, um, uh, conscious, emotionally aware friend that you can talk to, like just to get a sense of, um, I hate to use the term, is this normal, but, you know, talk to someone you trust to get a sense of like, you know, is what I'm dealing with out of the ordinary, should I be going to a therapist or something to get help with this? Or is this, you know, a part of the growing pain of, of being a young guy in the world? Like, have you dealt with this as well? And if so, how did you do it? How do you see it now? That kind of thing. That can be a great first step. Um, but yeah, I I think in terms of just assessing, like, you know, is this a real issue for me? Yeah. For the first step I would recommend is that, and then ask yourself to what extent is this problem robbing me of, of my ability to be happy? because you might actually be surprised by the answer. Like you might think that jealousy is a relatively small issue in your life, but think about what else it's coloring. Think of it. You know, if you are dealing with these thoughts, if you're dealing with these compulsions and then you might take it out on your parents, for example, or someone at work or, you know, you might be losing focus or you don't have the physical energy to exercise and take care of your body because you were up last night with these thoughts and, and uh, you know, obsessive compulsions, whatever. Um, Try to get an assessment and try to evaluate how much it's taking away of um, your ability to be happy in general in your life. And I often describe dealing with extreme jealousy as almost like driving a car because we love uh, car analogies in this podcast apparently. Almost like driving a car with one foot on the brake at all times. Now any mechanic will tell you that's terrible for your engine. Cars weren't built that way. And you're never going to really experience the freedom of the open road, you know, experience the freedom of letting go and really being vulnerable and just deciding to say to hell with it. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to, you know, jump into the messiness and the imperfection that is life because you're always holding back a little. You know, there's always a little part of you that's holding back. There's always a part of but I don't want to live my life that way. Uh, And I think that most guys, if they're being honest with themselves, they don't want to live their lives that way either. So yes, talk to a friend and then really evaluate how much is this taking away from my ability to be happy in general in my
0: life. So if somebody establishes that it is taking a lot away from their life, what should they do next?
1: It depends on the type of jealousy, but I would say in particular for retroactive jealousy sufferers, um, you know, this is by no means a novel concept. You mentioned it already. Meditation can be really really important and I know it's you know 2018 It's very trendy to say that but I can tell you from my own personal experience in my life And from the experience of hundreds of students taking my online course um, When you establish some kind of regular meditation routine It does something really important, which is if it's a good meditation routine. It teaches you to stay separate from your thoughts or to de-identify or disidentify from your thoughts So often when we have a thought, we kind of take ownership of it. We think that, you know, on some level, we imagine it to be permanent. Um, It can often, we we attach labels to it, like this thought is threatening or disgusting or depressing or whatever. You know, we throw all kinds of meaning and significance at this thought and we kind of absorb it as part of our our identity. One idea I talk about a lot and, and an idea that meditation really helps to reinforce is this idea that our thoughts are more like clouds passing overhead in the sky. So if you have a good meditation routine, you can compare it to, you know, lying on your back in the park on a sunny day, watching clouds float by overhead. So one cloud might come along and it might be a thundercloud and it might look dark and black and ominous and it might freak you out a little bit. But sooner or later, that cloud's going to fade. And if you, you know, don't attach all kinds of meaning and significance to that thought, if you let it just be a thought passing overhead in the sky, if you learn that your identity is not dependent, it's not necessarily related to that thought, It really helps you, you know, in general, letting go of all the baggage and all the unwanted thoughts in general. So some kind of mindfulness meditation routine just as a very, you know, quick first step for retroactive jealousy sufferers, I think can be really uh, very powerful. There's an app called Calm, which is very good. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the app Headspace. But in my view, it doesn't really matter which of those um, you try. You know, like I have a guided meditation on YouTube you can look at for free. Um, But it doesn't really matter what you try as long as you're consistent with it. So as a baby step, I think that's something that people can start doing right now if they're they're dealing with this.
0: Maybe we can put a link to your guided meditation in the description of this podcast. Yeah, sure. I know for myself, I actually use Calm every single day. It's almost the first thing I do every morning. Every once in a while, I'll have to run to a meeting and I'll do it in the Uber on the way there. Uh, and then I also have Headspace. And Headspace, I don't do every day. I, just sort of, I try to do before I go to bed or sometime in the afternoon. Um, but I find guided meditation incredibly helpful. There's some other tools that have been really useful for me. But I'm curious, what what is your practice? Do you use one of those apps or do you do you do something else? Like when do you meditate? What is that like for you? How long do you meditate for?
1: Yeah, it changes Uh, and I've experimented with different um, schools of meditation and stuff over the years. So I was once uh, Considered myself to be an adherent to the Vipassana meditation uh, system I did these 10-day retreats in the wilderness where you're meditating for like 11 hours a day and basically living like a monk Um, And then you take that practice home where you meditate for an hour in the morning an hour at night Uh, I did not keep that up. It's hard to be consistent with that uh, for all kinds of reasons Um, but I found that very helpful um, I was affiliated with Zen for a while. I was really interested in Zen. I still am and I practice something called Zazen uh, meditation um, a type of sitting meditation but one concept from Zen that I want to mention that I, I still use every day and that has really um, Had a really beautiful impact on my life is I mean a lot of traditions emphasize this but it's particularly strong in Zen the idea that Everything you do in life can be a tool for meditation. So my favorite example is washing the dishes meditation Um so you can wash the dishes and you can actually use it as a tool for gaining greater conscious uh, consciousness and presence in everyday life. So when you wash those dishes, really pay attention. You know, turn off your phone, turn off the music, whatever. Pay attention to the way the water feels. Pay attention to the colors in, in the water. Pay attention to the way a dish feels in your hand. It might sound silly, but once you get into these habits every single day of doing things with full consciousness, full presence, full awareness... Um, Walking meditation is one that's very um, common in Zen if you do if you get into these habits these little micro habits every day um, It can be really good to just kind of remind you to be present to stay conscious And it's easier if you you do that after over a time It becomes easier and easier and easier and you know Why not we do all these little mundane tasks every day? Why not imbue them with some meaning and significance? Why not try to get something out of it? so that's one concept that's very helpful, but in general, no, I do something called Anapana every day now, which is basically just a breathing meditation. I try to do it in the morning and, and uh, before I go to bed at night. Uh, and I, I was, coming back to music, I often use music as a tool for meditation. Um, I'm a massive fan of a lot of North Indian classical music. And sometimes I'll just light a candle uh, and put on a good record and just sit there and really kind of let myself be totally absorbed into it. Um, so you can, you can use a lot of things, actually, as tools for meditation. I think the most important thing is consistency rather than which school you follow or which practice you adopt.
0: You talked a little bit about getting fully into your senses while you're doing dishes. For somebody who's listening to this and they have no clue what meditation is, what, how would you describe it? What, what are you doing when you're meditating?
1: Wow. Um, well, I think the, the the nutshell answer, and I am by no means a uh, a scholar of Buddhism. I'm I'm a you know a student. I I consider myself very much a student of meditation and Buddhism and all this stuff. But in essence, I think meditation is about paying attention. So to take one example, just a very basic example, Anapana meditation, which I often practice. So you're literally sitting there paying attention to the space or the skin, uh, underneath your nostrils. Okay. So you, you breathe in and out through your nose and you feel the, the breath coming in and out of your nostrils with your eyes closed. You're sitting there paying very, very, very close attention to that. Now, when you're doing that, you have thoughts pop into your head, like, you know, I can't wait for supper or, you know, damn, that girl I saw at the gym was hot or I'm kind of horny or I'm bored or this sucks or, you know, I hate that asshole from the podcast who got me meditating. Whatever. You have all these thoughts that come into your head. Um, That's very normal. It happens to everyone, I guarantee. It still happens to the Dalai Lama. The point is to bring yourself back to your breath. Bring yourself back to your process. Um, you know, br- bring bring yourself back to the meditation process. Now, why do that? Someone who has no experience with this it's like, what the hell is the point of that? Our minds are like, you know, Buddhists like to call it the monkey mind. Our mind is always racing, always dealing with all kinds of incoming thoughts and worries and anxieties and desires. And it's like if you actually sit and pay attention to your thoughts for a minute, if you've never done it before, I encourage you to do it. It's a trip, man. Like you have, you have all kinds of thoughts coming in all the time. It's like the worst Twitter feed in the world, just bombarding you with nonsense and and ego and and you know desires and 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 all this stuff and and mixed in with some beautiful things as well the point is our minds are racing a mile a minute all the time especially in our modern world i mean you live in new york city right our minds are kind of like new york city just busy and you know horns going everywhere and advertisements and it's never-ending so meditation is about bringing our attention back to the present moment, bring our, our attention away from the monkey mind, away from our constant thoughts, and back to what's really going on in the present moment. And the effect this often has is some kind of calm and, and you know, mental equanimity and often mental clarity. Now, I, I almost hesitate to say that because I think it's important to approach meditation without expectation. Like, I think it's a, it's a, a misconception that meditation, you know, is always... These Zen people who have got it all figured out and and you know it's it's always peaceful. Absolutely not. I've had some hellish meditation sessions. Because if you do this long enough, you know, the really dark stuff from the back of your mind, you know, can't help but bubble up to the surface. But the most important thing is it it gets your mind, it starts to break the cycle of endless noise, endless information, bring yourself back to the present moment, and you'll find that life is a hell of a lot better in the present moment. You know, a a comparison I'd like to say is, okay, what are some of the most popular activities in the world, all over the world? Okay, a couple of them, sex and sports. Now, why are these things uh, so popular and so universal? Well, there's lots of reasons, you know, sex, we're all designed to procreate and we're all horny and, you know, um, Mm -hmm. all the rest. Sports, well, sports is fun and it's about, you know, a masculine search for freedom and breaking three of restrictions and, you know, all the rest, okay, fine. But if you dig deeper into that, you'll find that most of the world's most popular practices and activities are things that allow you to become very, very present. If you're having a beautiful lovemaking session, you're not thinking about your taxes and that that thing you have to get done at work tomorrow, and you know the asshole will cut you off in traffic. You're very, very present. You're totally in the moment. And if you're an athlete or if you've ever played any kind of sport, it's very much the same thing. You know, if, if you're, you know, I, I used to play hockey. Like, if you're on the ice in a good game and you're actually engaged. Like, the outside world doesn't matter at all. Nothing matters except, you know, the the puck and the way that it's moving, and nothing matters except that game. You're very, very, very present. Meditation is about bringing us, in some ways, back to that state because life is so much better in the present moment.
0: I had a client the other day. I was on the phone with him, and we were talking about, um, in past calls and past sessions, he had talked about how he was dealing with some some traumas, and we recognized them and recognized certain patterns, including uh, some patterns that were tied to nice guy syndrome. But he used to be a race car driver and after mm, I gave him a that's couple... That's a great example. Yeah, I gave him a couple of books on on meditation and had him start meditating. He realized that one of the reasons he liked to race cars is because it's, I mean, it's a life and death situation and he has to be fully present. And on this idea of presence, one of the things that I've learned is just like not to react to the past and not react to the future. When I say the future, it's expectations that I have for myself or that I think that other people have for me or society or um, predetermined outcomes that I think that I should achieve or get. And I try to explain to these guys when I'm teaching them to approach women and talk to women. And I'm like, when you're aware, when you're present, you'll pick up nuanced things that will tell you, not only will you connect more, it will tell you what to do next. Uh, but going back to this idea of reacting to the past, I mean, that really connects to what you, we were talking about earlier about retroactive jealousy, right? If you're constantly reacting to the past and you're not in the present moment, then you are going to come off as disconnected. And that disconnection is going to manifest in a myriad of ways that probably are not going to be healthy for the relationship.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and in particular, I assume that the majority of your clients are men. Um, you know, nothing in my experience, just about nothing is sexier to a woman than your total presence. I mean that that's a comment I've received from a lot of women like they feel like when I'm talking to them when I'm on a date or when I meet them or whatever I'm right here right now and even though I might not be their physical type or they you know might not like the sound of my voice or my hair or whatever They can feel that presence and it's it's often very calming for people as well because you meet so few people in life who are who feel like they're really there with you who feel like they're really present and you know, I'm not special, and you know, like like anyone can can do this with enough with
0: enough practice,
1: you know, and it's 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 very, very, very powerful.
0: Zachary, this has been absolutely incredible. I'm gonna wrap this up because I know we are constrained on time. but thank you for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. And if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about Zachary and some of the things that he does, including his podcast and his books, we're going to post some links on the description of this podcast and on the Craft Christmas website so you can find out about him more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me.
1: This was a pleasure. Thank you, Chris.
0: It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter. Share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.